this week we're going to be looking at Ohm's Advaitic Songs, which came out in 2012, Electric Moon's Freak Valley live album, which came out in 2020, and we're going to be looking at Wardruna's new album, Vit Raben, which came out in 2021. So, Floyd, take it away. What did you think of Advaitic Songs? I thought, I have to say, I've been yawning all day. I think it's because of, these albums are so chill that <laughs> I'm just permanently zen now. <laughs> no, Advaitic Songs, um, I really liked it. They're on uh, quite a new band to me, a band I've always heard of, and I knew that it's got um, Al, how do you pronounce this? Cisneros, it means swans. Oh, no way, that's cool. Swanhander, I think. Yeah. So that he's kind of like the driving force behind this project. And um, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it. I just thought it was just such a... Such a cool vibe. Um, I love delving into the lyrical content as well. There's so much of it. I mean, it seems to draw from quite a few different um, tenets of religion, from what I've gathered. Mm -hmm. Like, I know there's like, obviously, it's, I know it's heavily influenced by like um, Hinduism and I think even the Advaitic. You'll be able to, you know, a lot more about this than I do, but uh, I was doing a bit of research. And is Advaitic is the belief that the spirit. It's kind of like the, the the one truth of like the spirit is the main force. So from what I gather, it's like the belief of non-duality and that basically like the, the material world isn't is kind of like not important. Ah uh, yeah. I, I have written it down. Um it's like it's a reference to the meaning of Om itself, which is the idea that Brahman alone is real and that's like the universe. Yeah. Like the cosmic fabric of things. So that's kind of what the album's about, but I'll, I'll go into that when I do my <laughs> big old monologue. <laughs> well, I've done like a little track-by-track track breakdown. Mm -hmm. um, firstly, it's always good to hear something where, where the guitars are not so prevalent, because so much in heavy music, you know, we're just so used to being the guitar, being the driving force. And I think, you know, there's just, the bass in this album is just unreal. One track in particular had like one of the best bass lines I've ever heard. I think it was Gethsemane. Gethsemane. F70. That's it, yeah. And about eight minutes in, it was just like, I think it's one of the, it just, it was such a good build up because it was quite, it was a very drum heavy track, that one. Mm. It was quite like, had a good atmosphere and stuff. And just, you know, it's because sometimes with, I feel like a lot of sort of stoner or doom or whatever you want to call it music, there's not too much of a payoff a lot of the time. Like some of the songs tend to be quite gradual and they swell a little bit. And then they kind of ease back down again. But what I liked about this track in particular, Gethsemane, was um, when the bass line just kicks in, it just kind of wakes you up a bit. And I was just like, holy shit, like this is, this is some cool shit. Because as a whole, the album's actually not like, I wouldn't say it's terribly heavy. It's quite atmospheric a lot of the time. But um, you say this is one of their heavier albums as well, right? Or I feel like this one and Pilgrimage is probably the heavier, two of the heavier albums. But like the thing with Ohm is I feel like the heaviness is like, it's not a distortion thing. It's kind yeah. of like the sense that you get when you listen to it. Yeah. But it's, um, no, it's just great. Uh, the opening track I thought was real cool. Had that real Middle Eastern vibe to it. And uh, looks like it was apparently uh, Kate Ramsey was providing the vocals yeah. for, the, for the mantra, which is quite cool. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing I was doing a bit of research on the mantra. It seemed like it was to do with sort of death and reincarnation. Yeah, it's a it's a death. It's like asking for protection from death, ah. and asking to like be preserved forever, basically. It's an, it's a um, reaching out to Shiva, or I think Raman. I can't remember the name of the other god, but in Shivaism, it's like like that's who you'd be addressing. Yeah, the free-eyed one. Yeah, but I think we were just saying before um, 
we were recording as well. I think actually, even though this is like my first foray into any of their music, I actually already much prefer them to sleep. I don't know, there's something about it that I think just resonates with me a bit more. I feel like sleep's music is quite, you know, it's a great sort of background album or background music to listen to when you kind of like vibe out and jam out. But this has similar elements to that, but I feel like it's much deeper. Yeah. And you can actually, like the music, kind of takes you on more of a journey. Like I can sit and listen to this and be entertained thoroughly. Whereas like, you know, don't smoke it. It's a bit fucking challenging at times to try and <laughs> sit through that when you're doing nothing else. That's like a piece of classical music. Yeah. I think, I know what you mean. I think that Ohm is way more substance. I mean, look at the lyrics from The Sciences, which is a great album, but the lyrics are literally like back patch. Dino <laughs> is my refuge. Like, what's it again? Is it he's a? Uh, oh no! What's the? Oh, the one with all the puns, like the CBDC. Yeah. Yeah. But just good, and um, I think what I really liked about this album is the use of strings and stuff as well. Mm. There's quite a lot of uh, orchestral elements. Like it definitely did sound like an orchestra a lot of the time. There's tabla as well. Yeah. Yeah, like Indian drums and things. Yeah, like that. I think that was on one of the tracks. I think actually, uh, yeah, it was. I think it was the last track. So Hakau Yakin. Hakau Yakin, yeah. Oh, which uh, is what the truth of certainty, which I've got written down here. But yeah, that sounded like that was a tabla that was being played at the beginning of that track. And you know, it's just, it's cool because, from what I've gathered from the lyrical content, is they're drawn from a lot of you know different aspects of uh, sort of religion and mythology. But at the same time, you can hear the different flares in the music as well. There's aspects of the music that's reflective of these different sort of tenets of religion that I thought was really cool. Yeah, there is, a, there is actually an overarching narrative, I think. But it's like, it's, you've got to like do a shit ton of Wikipedia reading. Yeah. Which I will, I, can, I will have like a whole section of this podcast where I'm going to go on like a little mini own rant, but I'm going to let you have your say before yeah. I do it. I think... The last thing I kind of want to say about this album is it's it's an interesting thing I've been thinking about and it's um, with this sort of music and a lot of people have said that this is the sort of music where you need to be under the influence of something to truly appreciate and I was kind of pondering whether or not that is true or not. I would say it's not true. Yeah. Yeah, because I don't, I don't partake but I still thoroughly enjoy this kind of music and I think if anything it makes it, I find it easier to, to enjoy it without having to do so because yeah. you know people different strokes for different folks basically yeah and it's just um no yeah I, i'm of the same belief really because i think you know it just depends on who you are as a person i think some yeah. people just need that little extra encouragement to kind of lose their inhibitions a bit and kind of experience the music for what it is but i felt like it's like i was saying last week um i do need to be in a, a certain mood to enjoy the sort of music like if i'm in the mood for something a bit more sort of fast pace, then you know, it's not going to hit the spot. But like, I had to wait for the right time to listen to this album, I felt mm -hmm. like. So I think it was fine, just a bit chilled in the evening. I was like, I'm just going to sit down and jam it out now. Like I couldn't, felt like I couldn't really take it in if it was, you know, playing in the background on the bus or anything or, yeah, or out and about. Personally, I can listen to this album anytime, but that is because it's one of my favourite albums. Like, I'm yeah. not the same with any of other Ohm's albums. This one in particular hits me in like a very particular way, because I think it's, it's their most recent album. Which is a shame because like they are fucking incredible, and I hope Al like has a sober moment or maybe a non-sober moment to write some more more own because I mean like they they really did grow into themselves I think in this album like with their previous discography because yeah. like it's heavy it's beautiful it's amazing 
but this whole album is just so beautiful like the way they've constructed it the way like the production everything is just gorgeous yeah yeah it's um i really like the drums as well i think he's such mm. a i was saying this Emo amos yeah yeah he's amazing it's just so good i like his fills i, I like drummers that aren't overly flashy yeah. And I feel like, you know, I like when they have a good use of fills as well. And there's so many times, like, he's, like, there's a lot, he's using a lot of the sort of, like, the ride symbol, which is cool, because, I mean, I think it just matches so well to that sort of style of music. But it's just, you know, he's just interspersing so much of the track with these fills that aren't, you know, they're not detracting from the music. Absolutely. Like, they're still adding to the atmosphere, and it's like, um, even there, there's one part that I thought was really cool, of which track was it again? It was, it was Gethsemane again. It was, there was one point where it felt like like the vocals and the bass were kind of bouncing off each other. Almost they're like they were, rhythmic? Yeah. Yeah, Al uses his vocals like super rhythmically. Yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense because it just sounded like they were almost dueling or even talking to each other. Mm. And I noticed that the vocals, you know, they're not a primary, you know, a focal point of the album whatsoever. I mean, there's some, you know, you've got a bit of chanting in the, la in the last track, which is quite cool, I think quite good sort of tantric way to finish the album. And the last track had a real sort of tantric feel to it, like it was really quite, um, you know, just, well, just, just kind of awe-inspiring, really. Mm. Um, but yeah, I totally like the whole rhythmic thing with the vocals, it makes sense, because a lot of the time, you can tell he's just almost narrating a lot of the time, it's not even vocals per se. It's just another an accompaniment to the music that's being played. It's kind of religious. It's kind of like how um, like a monk would have a mantra or something yeah. like that. He's kind of just, it's kind of like coming out of him, but he's, it's almost like he's not fully aware it's happening yeah. at the same time. Yeah. But it's, um, it was great. It's, it's one of those, it's, it's tough because I felt like this is something I wish I discovered a long time ago. <laughs> so like I've listened to the album like twice. So I felt like I barely had time to really digest it. And it's something that kind of seeps into your consciousness the more you listen to it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, as much as I did really enjoy it, and I actually think it is a great album, and it's kind of opened my eyes to um, sort of what I've been missing. But I just feel like I need more time with it just to, just, just to get into it a bit more. It's a deep as fuck album. Like, it takes years to, to sink in. Because, like, when I came back to this and properly read it, because I wrote an essay on this when I was at uni, like, yeah. years ago now, and like I've got, I read it again, and I was like, oh, I have a different, a completely different take on it yeah. now. And like I can see so much more of the music that I didn't the first time around. So it's yeah. really cool that it can grow with you like that. Yeah, it was just, it was great. But uh, I'd love to hear what your uh, take on it is. <laughs> I know you've got a, a lot to say about it. Before I go into the the rambling monologue, I will say also that Al has a really unique way of playing bass. Yeah. I don't know if you saw any of the music videos, but when Al plays the bass, he plays on the neck. He doesn't play, so he always oh, plays cool. a Rickenbacker, um, and he always has the pit guard as well. He's actually got his own custom one now, it's beautiful. Um, but yeah, he'll play on the neck, and he'll kind of like tap, and the way he plays is super rhythmic, and the way he sings is super rhythmic, and like, there are, there are tracks on, I think, um, I think on Pilgrimage, where they're called the Cremation Gats, yeah. and it's just drums, it's just rhythm like really intense rhythms. People love them. Yeah. yeah when they play live as well, I 100% recommend if you can catch them playing live, go and see them because they are playing shows when things open up. They're scheduled to play in late May in London and Bristol and other places. But hopefully, hopefully they will be, they'll be happening this year if not next year. 
But yeah, the um, the monologue. If you if you don't care about this, fast forward to the next one, which will be Electric Moon. But in the meantime, welcome to my small lecture on ohms and Natick songs. <laughs> um, so, as you said earlier, Advaitic um, is a reference to non-duality, to meaning of ohm itself, which is what the band is named after. The ohm is like kind of a reference to like infinite, the nature of the universe, like the the kind of unity of God, and I think I'm doing something really interesting because a lot of metal is about duality, it's about good and evil, Satan and God, you know, things like that, but this whole album is actually about the complete opposite, it's about, my take in a nutshell is that this whole album is a journey of the soul through reincarnation until finally you get to, which in Hinduism is like the idea, or in Buddhism, the idea of like Nirvana, where you yeah. can finally escape from like what is seen to be like the chains of the physical world. Yeah. And your soul finally goes on to a different realm and you've kind of, you've reached a level of enlightenment and certainty where you, you don't have to be chained to like the physical realms anymore. Yeah. And like he's doing that using not only like Judaism, like Kabbalah, Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, like all these different things, he's using them all at the same time to kind of mean different things. And he's also referring to like history and stuff too. So Addis is like, the capital of Ethiopia is Addis Adaba. It also means, I think, red earth. Adam was made of clay. And then uh -huh. when people recite this particular um, chant at the beginning, which is Toshiba, um, it's got a name, it's called the Mahamut, Mahamrityuna, no I can't say it, Mahamrityunjaya, or the Trayambakam mantra. So it's from the Rig Veda, and it's to, to Rudra or Shiva. And um, this is like considered the oldest living religion in the world. Yeah. So it's ancient as fuck, it is old. So the, the mantra is, is called the death conquering mantra. And I think what Al is doing here is that he's not talking about like being immortal in a physical way, but conquering death and that you don't have to be reincarnated. Yeah. Because you've reached a level of, of enlightenment where you don't have to be alive anymore. Yeah, yeah. So, like, that's super interesting to me. So that's the state of non-return, right? So he's talking about... I don't know if I should read all the lyrics because you guys would get really bored. But he... His lyrics are also super weird, too, because he basically does stream of consciousness. So, for example, in Ohm, he is like... Traveller now reached the stream, the astral flight adapter, from the pain sheaf life ascends, the non-returner sees. Empathy release me, and the phoenix rise, tri rise triumphant, and walks onto the certitude ground, the soul's submergence ends. So he's literally talking about, like, like the pain sheaf is the body, right? Yeah. Or it can be the womb as well. So it's about, like, birth, death, and, like, how you perceive the world, and, like, reaching the certitude ground and this is this is also a reference to Haq al-Yakim which is like in Islam you have different levels of knowledge and certainty and that's the third stage isn't it that's the last one before yeah. you kind of reach like you know you, the knowledge of certainty the first three is I think the first one is like knowledge understanding knowledge of understanding understanding of knowledge and then you've got fuck's sake got to read my notes. I've got so many notes, guys. Um, you've got three different ones. So there's the stage of the certainty, the knowledge, the eye of certainty, and the truth of certainty. So the eye here, there's like loads of references to eyes in this. So he's already like referring to all these different things in the songs that link to each other. So he literally says, from the rounds of rebirth, he arrives onto the deathless. So that's like 
him, he's going out from reincarnation, light bores into the adjunct world, the soul galleon prevails, which is like super Lord of the Rings in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, like I really, I really fucking love this. This is so different to a lot of, um, a lot of like normal Western metal, and it's not appropriative. Like, Al Cisneros isn't doing this to be like, oh, I'm so bohemian and fashionable, let's go and find ourselves in India. He's yeah. like, he's actually legit into this shit, because he's done so much fucking research. Um, and Gethsemane is the garden where Judas kissed Jesus and betrayed him. Yeah. So that's what Gethsemane is about. It's like another death, which is really interesting. Um, and he refers to Nicodemus, who was one of the Sanhedrin, which is like a Jewish priest, that attended to Jesus' body. Yeah. So he sits in vigil weeping, which is a reference to like um, the Jewish death ritual, where people will basically sit with the body for seven days, because it's the idea that the soul hovers above the body, yeah. and you're basically making sure nothing comes and fucks with the soul, yeah. or fucks with the body. Um, so like that's, in, in Nicodemus is, is weeping in vigil, and then the Arahat rises, which is like, Arahat is like, um, I think it's someone who's studying, someone who's like about to reach enlightenment yeah so they're not quite at like the level and i think this is a hindu thing so like the healing ghost descends which is a christian thing and then lamentation cease and so rarefied light prevails devakut gleams sing freedom from tamasic field so devakut is jewish that is a reference to like the um the kind of like incredible um feeling of euphoria you get through praying yeah that's devakut and then tamasic field that's a reference to in in um in Hinduism to darkness. So like in like three sentences he's referring to like all these world religions and he's making them work. I suppose that helps it kind of not be appropriative when he's when he's including so much from so many different In a way, I suppose I think it depends how you do it, because I think you could be in theory if it was like some kind of gimmick where you're just like doing being a tourist yeah. for all these different things. But I think he's kind of trying to make a point about like the non-dualities of religion and how there is like a unity throughout all these ancient practices yeah. that all speak to each other and there's like there's clearly I think he, he's kind of doing that he's he also is making references to like I think potentially to like some modern poetic ideas like I don't know if he's read Blake but Blake has a poem called All Religions Are One and he does similar things yeah and this is from like the 1800s but I feel like Cisneros would be super into that shit <laughs> um, I really would love to ask him this stuff because he could just be like you know you're full of shit what are you doing I just smoke some <laughs> weed and I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> just like did random ask on Wikipedia yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be that but I have a feeling he's done his research um because like this is like super um like super you know, specific stuff. Ezekiel saw the wheel is literally the coolest shit ever. Because I remember that was the first thing I googled when I when I read this. I, I mean, did you look up Ezekiel's wheel? Well, well, is this when God appears to him in a chariot? Yeah, the chariot's got like eyes and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounded really fucking cool. <laughs> it's so fucking yeah. cool. A lot of people think this is a reference to UFOs and ancient aliens. Ah, uh, I can see why they would think that. But yeah. Because there's loads of like. Um, rings and all the rings are lined with eyes and inside these levels of rings are like weird animals and shit yeah and like yeah there's a chariot appearing to i can't fucking remember who who sees the chariot ezekiel sees the chariot the prana exits that's breath which is also related to the spirit the holy spirit in christianity because breath and spirit and creation are all linked in like all the religions it's really interesting fucking look it up if you're interested Ritalis path if you're wondering riti means whirlpool in in hindu 
um, that's like a reference to like stuff stopping you from reaching enlightenment. So yeah. at this point, basically Nicodemus is like, is is becoming enlightened whilst the soul of Jesus is kind of like moving on to like the next thing, which is interesting because in the very next song, which is called Sinai, which is where Moses receives the prophet, the, the laws the, from yeah, God. The Ten Commandments and stuff, right? Nicodemus is a Sanhedrin, which is a rabbinic priest. Well, not rabbinic, he's a priest. Um, the rabbinic stuff, I don't think, existed at this point. But he is the father of rabbinic stuff. Um, so, so, like, Moses is the first dude to, to have law in the Bible. Yeah. So it's interesting that in the previous song, you've got a dude who's, like, in the courts, who is a law guy. And then... In Sinai, he doesn't talk about Moses. He talks about Melchizedek and Menelik. And Menelik is one of the kings, emperors, that made Ethiopia, Ethiopia, which is where Addis Ababa is, the capital of Ethiopia. So he, and like, there's, um, there's a, a text. I wrote down the name of the text if anyone's actually vaguely interested. And in this text, there is a guy. It's called the, Keb, the Kebronagast. And it's full of Ethiopian folklore, which comes from ancient Egypt. It's Arab, it's Coptic, there's stuff from rabbinic literature and the Old Testament is from the 6th century. And the author uses this um, like collection of tales to basically um, big up the Ethiopian royalty. But he has this idea that there's like a pearl that came from Adam, which is like the Red Earth yeah. in reference, like in the name of Addis. Um, and that pearl like passed through like Jesus and Moses and all these holy people and like eventually ended up in the royalty of Ethiopia like Menelik. Yeah. So like there's this weird like reincarnation thing, in in like I don't know if it's that deep but it's there. So there's that, and then Melchizedek is also um, as Hebrew I think for like like the priest of forever the king king of forever it's like a really like bigging up kind of title so. The shrine, like, you've gone up to the vigil on the mountain of Gethsemane, and then on Sinai you're going down. You're, you're coming down from the peaks. You're kind of being, like, you're going back into your body again. This is, like, another another round of, of incarnation. So you're becoming more and more knowledgeable. You're becoming more and more enlightened until you get to Hakau Yakin, which is, like, the final stage. Yeah. Before you're finally, like, fucking zooming off into the cosmic universe, no yeah. longer having to worry about your soul galleon and your pain sheath um, and in this one he basically goes fucking crazy this is like the longest song lyrically and he references he, he starts referencing like hard on hard on he starts hardcore referencing kabbalah and shit in this um like right from the beginning so he's talking about the blue orb on the spine's horizon that's your brain if you're into kabbalah you will know that there's like um have you seen the, the sephirot do you know no. it's this weird fucking kind of graph um, with all the, in this is in Ju Judaism, in Jewish mysticism, you're not really supposed to hardcore go into this until you have like a level of knowledge. Yeah. Usually when people are 40 years old, after they've like spent their whole lives studying like Midrash and stuff, they'd start reading about Kabbalah. But it's really fucking interesting. Um, and there's like this idea that there are different, um, there are like 600 names for God, yeah. basically. And there's this, there's this kind of like, structure where you have different names for different aspects of God and then all of these have different meanings so you have like the femininity of God you've got like kingship you've got mercy you've got loving kindness you've got all these different things and they all have different names and they all mean loads of different things and yeah. they have there's like thousands of pages written on all this stuff but 
I believe that Cisneros is referring to it, he literally uses the names of one of them as well, and he's talking basically about the body just fucking dying and the soul just shooting out of the body. And you're going through all these different stages of like certainty. The like you he talks about the ape stage of absorption, he talks about the seventh shrine, he's talking about he's referring to like not only the Kabbalah, he's also referring to because in Islam you, you actually have more than the three stages of certainty. You've actually got I think there's eight or seven in total. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um I have written it down. Um, I'm not going to read everything I've written because you guys would be bored to fucking death. But if anyone is interested, just uh, look me up, hit me up, and I'll, I'll talk to you about it. There's seven levels of knowledge, and there's three levels of certainty. So before certainty, you've got to go through the seven levels of knowledge. So I believe uh. he's talking to this, and he talks about the traveller, and the name of the person who is navigating these is called a traveller. Yeah. So like I, I think it's pretty clear he's he's doing this. And like the the... It's referred to as like a journey of return to the source, which is exactly like super Hindu, it's super everything in this. Um, and he talks about like the mendicant and the fakir, which is like basically someone who's a beggar, and a fakir is like a holy person who's a, beg a beggar. So you're like traveling the roads, you are putting yourself in like a situation where you're intentionally like, you know, in, in like religion if you're putting yourself in that situation you're super devoted to god right yeah. so you're you're reaching those stages of knowledge um i'm not going to read the whole thing but he talks about emerging from triune sheaths which is the free the idea of god being like the um, the trinity like the yeah. holy ghost etc jesus and god so you're emerging from that and you approach the sovereign ground from the karmic tombs awaken um through inner space sees Shekinah, which is a reference to, a, like, a very direct reference to the Sephirot. And Shekinah means dwelling place. It's also in Islam. You have a Sukinah. Yeah. Um, and, like, that's reference to Malkut, which is, like, the, the highest level of Sephirot, which is, like, the highest level of understanding. Um, yeah. And, like, you're ascending to Shekinah, and then the phoenix has ascended, glides down upon the divine wing and liberates from what sojourns. So you're waking up from the dream of the physical world and you have become enlightened and you are certain and you're in this like fucking cool cosmic space. I'm pretty sure Al did some DMT or something. <laughs> like, I feel this is like some crazy DMT, DMT trip where he's seeing like Ezekiel's wheel yeah. and he's going through like this, the fucking cosmic religious history of the world through like all the lives of these prophets being incarnated over and over again until you reach a point where you've become like you've gone from a king to a beggar and you're just yeah oh. I think it's super cool personally it's fucking sick right <laughs> yeah. there's like so much Deep more there's so much more I didn't want to I didn't want to say everything um, but there is some really really interesting stuff and like if you just read some lyrics and just like look up a random word or look up a random line and even a line that isn't like a word that's weird it will be in reference to something like every every part of this has been really like thought about and picked and pruned and curated in like a really beautiful way which is so funny because if you read the lyrics of the most recent sleep album <laughs> that's not the case yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's why I love Al, and like Al is definitely one of the reasons that I play music because I have seen him play live several times, and it's fucking inspiring. Every single time I come away, like more dedicated to being a musician from having seen him. Have you seen Om play live before? Several times. Yeah. Incredible, absolutely yeah. amazing. Just watching him play, it's funny because he's not a very confident singer. 
Yeah. So Lyre, he kind of just mumbles. Yeah. And you can tell he's kind of, he's stoned out of his fucking mind when yeah. he plays Lyre. I think that's the only way he can play. And I've seen Sleep several times. The first time I saw him play was in Sleep. And um, I was on stage because, <laughs> I should say this on camera, but me and my friend pretended that we were Sleep's official photographers to sleep <laughs> backstage at a festival so that we could actually photograph them yeah. and like be on stage with them. Um, and like they were like, yeah, sure, go on in. So I was on stage and there was no one else there and they were loading in and Matt Pike and Al were there and we were just like, hey! And Matt Pike, not Matt Pike, Al has a uh, green Granny Smith apple that he's hollowed out into a bong. Oh, and that's he's so just shit. standing in the corner, like, just like gurgling into this apple. Wait, wait, what, what is the, the benefit of, a, of an apple bong? It's flavoured. Oh, of course, it yeah. It makes it super flavoured. So apparently bananas and melons are really good for this. But yeah, yeah. he just he just took a few hits from his apple before um, yeah. before going on stage and playing a fucking amazing set. God, yeah. I'd love to see him live. You heard about the set they played in Jerusalem, right? Of course, the six-hour set. Yeah, yeah. that's mad. I wish I could have been there. That, that sounds amazing. just sounds like some next-level spiritual it experience. It 100% have been spiritual as hell because they are honestly transcendental live. Like, one of... My favourite live bands, hands down. Yeah. I've seen a lot of bands. I'm gonna have to fingers crossed everything returns to normal at some point or some semblance of normality because I'd love to see them live. I think they'd be great. I was reading that at the <laughs> at the end of the five hour gig or six hour gig, however long it was, just like whoever stuck around, they just went out and just hugged everybody. Oh, <laughs> well, the first time I saw them, they uh, they played the Scala and Emil Amos stayed behind the set, and me and him, he he, he was like, oh hey, I've got some whiskey, and we got a fly. So if you want to sit and just have some whiskey, and we just sat together and yeah, like you know so had cool. a drink, and then he, he he signed his drumstick for me, and he tried to get Al to sign it, but Al was just like, yeah. you know, but he like even ran backstage just to get that, which he didn't have to do, yeah. you know, and like it was just so sweet. He's such a cool guy. They're all really, really lovely. Emil Amos um goes on Duncan Trussell a lot, so he has some really interesting um, podcast things on there. It's always, I think it's always quite kind of heartwarming when you see that people that spend a large chunk of their life touring still take the time and effort to be nice and mm. kind of personal towards people. Because to be honest, you would, you would totally give them the benefit of the doubt or you know, excuse them for acting like dickheads half the time. Yeah. Like if, I mean, you know, if I was flying across the world, I'd be pretty pissed off too and you know, grumpy and miserable. Exactly. But, but I think it's always quite heartwarming when you see musicians actually being, you know, they are wholesome as hell, and there's no way they're gonna hit on you as well. Yeah. Like, there's just there's no there's no weird Nazi Me Too action happening at home. You just know they're fucking cool guys. They're it's always like, a plus. It's always a plus. It's a bonus. <laughs> I do look for that. Apparently, um, Al is a, like a chess grandmaster. Oh shit. Yeah, I, I think I don't know if he gives lessons, but I heard that he's like just incredibly good at chess. Like, yeah. He's legit. Yeah. I, I played the chess a bit when I was younger, but it's just. Um... I enjoyed chess, but it was just the, uh, it's just too cerebral for me. <laughs> I can play Magic the Gathering, but I can't play chess. Oh. It's, it's funny, I, I don't know why, and it's like, I spoke to a few other people who've been recommended this video, but like, the YouTube algorithm is so fucked, I got recommended this video with some, um, I think his name's Magnus Carlsen, some like 30 year old chess dude who's apparently like a bit of a prodigy, uh -huh. and it was a video of him having to leave the chess match halfway through because he had diarrhea. <laughs> And I'm like, why have I been recommended this? But at the same time, so, oh, it's cool. I now know why Magnus Carlsen couldn't finish his uh, chess match. I think it's because you watch videos of dogs throwing up. That's probably it. Yeah. That's probably yeah. it. Because you love people throwing up. 
That's a great video. It is such a good video. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah. Well, what, what would you rate this album? Oh, I, I don't think I can. I, I need. I think I need another couple of years with this album to even formulate a true opinion. Yeah. Because I will say, and it, it's what's unusual is normally albums like that don't get me first time round. Mm. I think you know, it takes a while for it to kind of seep in. But I think there is actually kind of instant appeal with this album. Yeah. That I think kind of makes it special because I listened to it for the first time. I was like, I really dig this. But I know I'm gonna dig it so much more in like 20 years time when I've listened to it for like the hundredth time. So, but I, it's great. I love it. I love it. Sick. I recommend if you want to listen to more Iron, maybe after this listening to Pilgrimage and then maybe God is Good and then yeah. Conference of the Birds, Gabriel Barcal after that. But yeah. it sounds like, because this is their newest release, right? 2012. But yeah. Newest, yeah. 2012, nine years ago. Can you believe that? I think um, I got distracted by sleep performing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just fair enough. I mean, if you look at how much money they're probably getting paid to play those festivals, I mean, you can't turn that down. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame. I mean, for me, this is a 10. 100%. It's a 10. Yeah. It's one of those albums that was a time point in my life, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's just, it's just crazy. I mean, it's kind of opened my eyes a bit, because really, and I, I don't really want to put a genre on it, because I think it kind of defies genre. It's a very transcendental album, you know, it's... It's because I feel like anybody, even lovers of non-heavy music, could appreciate this. Like I was going to say, I'm going to show it to my mum because I know that she's going to fucking absolutely love it as well. Um, yeah, so, but it's, like I was saying before, a lot of the time I've got to be in the right mood. But with this, I was just able to just jam it instantly and I loved it. Awesome. That makes me so happy. I'm really glad that you like that. I'd be really sad if you didn't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boring. <laughs> no breakdowns. It's all about religion. <laughs> <laughs> so the the next album is Electric Moon, live at Freak Valley 2019. So this is one of the last shows before everything broke. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, yeah, crazy to think that the last gigs were kind of, I went to a gig in 2000, last year in 2020. My last gig was 2020, we played yeah. with Dev. Oh. Yeah. oh, it was you playing it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. that was my last gig. My last one then. was uh, Batushka, but the uh, nice. the real Batushka. Yeah, of course. Who, uh, ironically, the real Batushka are, are the ones who aren't signed to Metal Blade Records. That's ridiculous. Yeah, so that, huh. that's a story for another time. We should form a band called The Real Batushka. Yeah. yeah. It's, the best thing about them is that there's about 20 different Batushkas now. It's, it's like a Russian doll. Kind of, yeah, there's like there's like an anime one which has got like um oh, it's just I have to show it to you afterwards I can't remember but, but what the album. Did you do merch that's like a love pillow? Probably has yeah, some weird boo shit going on there, but yeah. it's, but this album um, Electric Moon I uh, it was great and I actually I listened to the uh, the recording of it which has been mixed and mastered and mm. it sounds absolutely fantastic for a live record yeah and i also after i finished that i actually went and watched the live set as well i did the same thing just to get an idea because I, I liked because the thing is when i'm i'm not a, a massive big fan of live records per se normally because i'd rather watch a live performance mm -hmm. even if it's recorded as opposed to listen to it because i feel like that's such a key aspect of live music is the visual and what's been presented on stage as well but i will say that um it was, and uh, I've got the guy's name who mixed and mastered it because he done an absolutely uh, fantastic I job. I read his name and I forgot what his name is. It's, I... it's a good name. It was a good name. It was Falco Schneider. That's it, Falco Schneider. 
and he's for the the institute. He works. He's works for the Institute for Angerwanten Crack, which I think is the Institute for Applied Noise. I don't know, but I think they. I can't say it on shit. No, forget forget what I'm about to say. <laughs> I can't say it on uh, camera. But done a great job, and um, I have to say, what a sound for like a three piece. Like the the sort of the music they generated on stage was it's great. So rich for three people playing. Yeah. Yeah. And like um, my dad's massive uh, Hawkwind fan, mm, so like, and like his favorite Hawkwind album was Quark, Strangeness and Charms, which has got and you know, it's a very retro thing. You know, all the effects and the delays and stuff. I think it's quite you know like Pink Floyd. You know, we're doing a lot of that as well. But it's good to hear a relatively new band because I think they formed in two thousand and nine, so mm. which is still relatively new by today's standards. And it's good to hear, I always like hearing sort of the old techniques kind of brought into a more modern kind of soundscape because obviously there's been so much developments in the audio recording and stuff some people will say for better for worse i mean i know there's a lot of people that still will say that you know digital recording was the death of the music industry but it's just good to hear kind of like the retro sounds amalgamated into kind of like a more of a modern package and kind of presented in a live setting and i think it's just um it, it's it's it, I, I thought it was great I and mean, i enjoyed it personally yeah definitely i think you can you can tell they're using like really, they, they care about their gear, like the pedals they're using, the amps they're using, everything sounds so warm, it sounds like sunlight. Yeah. It's really like, it's really atmospheric, it's really like, it's the bands in the in the vein of like, you know, Color Haze and Yuri Gagarin and um, like really just good instrumental, well, Color Haze isn't purely instrumental, but you know what I mean, it's that kind of like German sound, the Krautrock sound, really just complex but simple easy to listen to you can listen to them or you can just put them on and do whatever you like and you can just feel it warming your soul it's yeah. that kind of music yeah it's um what i thought was cool as well because when i was um when i was looking at the track listing for the uh, the recorded mm. and mastered version they had um the name of the first track was called um increase but then i found out upon watching the live set that it was actually just one long massive improv the first two tracks are like that, yeah, there's triple seven as well. Yeah. And like on the live, there's also, it's like 20, they're both 20 minutes long. Yeah. So they're obviously just jamming out, having a good time. I love when bands do that. It's like, you know, you're getting something unique from that performance. Yeah. And I think that probably makes sense why it's released as a live album, you know, because it was a unique experience. Like, you know, because a lot of time a live album is just a compilation of songs from, mm -hmm. you know, just one part from, a, from, from an entire entity that has its own kind of sound, whereas this, does seem like a bit of a unique experience and performance that was kind of amalgamated into um, uh, an actual release. And I think it, um, I th I think it works really well. Um, I love just the, the guitar and the bass work. I've, I've noticed um, that a lot of the times while playing, uh, the bassist would change her, um, just techniques, you know, on the same song that she'd be plucking at some points and then, you know, sort of strumming at others. And if it's just really, it's that sort of attention to detail that I think really adds to like the soundscape that they create and obviously the guitarist half the time is buys pedals you know and doing all the, the effects and stuff and I thought it was just a just really cool it was just a real I, I tried to listen to it just all the way through because like you said it's kind of more like a jam than anything because yeah. you know trying to like separate it and rate it track by track just didn't really think it was even that mm. probable with this album yeah. Even though obviously, t I think there was there was a track towards the end which is called the, uh, the bonus track. It was detuned. Yeah, there's an acoustic track right at the end, mm. which is only a couple of minutes long. Yeah. I thought that just kind of serves like an outro more than anything. Like it was, it was nice. Yeah. 
but I think the last actual track was called Detune. And that, that even that track alone was quite sore and it had a bit more of like a post-rock vibe to it. Like mm. it was, you know, the guitars were quite sore and then melodic. Yeah. Um, that overall I, th I thought was great and that it, it wasn't boring. A lot of that time when you look at an album and there's two 20 minute tracks, yeah. you're thinking this is either going to be really good or I'm going to be bored out of my mind. But <laughs> I think having the live setting just works as well because you could tell they were feeding off the energy of the crowd and stuff. And, um, mm -hmm. and I have to say the Freak Valley Festival looks actually, it looks like a really good festival. It's really legit. I really want to go at some point. Yeah. They, they do, I overplayed. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, they put on some really good lineups. Yeah, cause, uh, the lineup I looked at, I think it was the year they played, which was 2019, which is what this album's taken from. I think it was Corrosion of Conformity were headlining. Uh, Yob were there, but I know we all love Yob. Everyone um, loves Yob. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, um, yeah, just, uh, just fingers crossed um, festivals can return because it's definitely something I'd be down for going to at some point. It's nice to hear, like, I never cared about live albums, but it's nice to hear a crowd. It's just so nice to hear people screaming. Yeah. Yeah, and to like remember what it's like. At this point, it's kind of like, like a like a kind of weird fantasy to think about. So to hear it, it was it was kind of tantalizing and strange because I never listened to live music, but this made me listen to it, and I was like, oh my god, I miss that so much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Um, I don't know about you guys. I've actually had dreams of being at gigs. <laughs> I've had dreams of being at festivals. Yeah, and it's just yeah. it's just so weird because it seems like you said it just seems like a million. Seems like a lifetime ago. So it's just like when I'm there in the dream, it's just like, it's like shit. This is what I miss in life. Like it's just, and it's so annoying because like we all live near and around London, mm. and just London is just so fucking spot for choice for gigs. It is. And just took it so much for granted when they were going on. But there'd be there'd be a band who I really love. But like, oh fuck it, I'll catch them next year. Yeah. When I'm like feeling like a bit more up for it. But yeah. now I'm just like shit. I should definitely I'm definitely gonna take every opportunity to watch as much. Like music as possible. My biggest regret is I had a ticket for Electric Wizard. Oh. And I just felt like, I just felt really anxious that day. I didn't feel like going out. So I just kind of stayed in. I cancelled, I cancelled on myself. And then, then the pandemic happened and I was like, I, I miss Electric Wizard the most. Yeah. I think I miss OWN the most, but then they rarely play. But I really, I need to see Electric Wizard again. And I have a feeling, I've been listening to the Damnation podcast, um, but listen to ours more. Um, but basically, <laughs> basically we're saying there's probably going to be lots of best of British lineups. There's going to be a lot of Carcass and Electric Wizard lineups because we're not Fucking fine Lance by me. Yeah, I was like, hell yeah, <laughs> love those so bands. I can cock an Electric Wizard. Uh... Coroner, they're English, right? Because they're Good. a coroner. They yeah. play Gods of the Land. Yeah. I mean, that would be odd. They're not English. They're like Swiss. Fuck. Oh, oh my god, they are. Oh, coroner. Really upsetting. I wish they should be English. Coroner should be English. Make them English. <laughs> um, yeah, well, make maybe... Coroner English again. <laughs> make them English. I want Coroner to be English. <laughs> it just sounds like an English name. Yeah. That's a, to be honest though, I think I was saying this in one of the weeks, but like, it's crazy when you actually sit and think how much of heavy music or just music in general that this small island has spawned. It is mental, isn't like, it? Even in the metal scene alone, like mm. Carcass alone have spawned like four different fucking subgenres. But yeah, like, they're all converged. Sabbath, yeah. <laughs> like Sabbath, you know, like Judas Priest. I mean, it's just Napalm Death. So I think I'm definitely down for like British centric uh, festivals. I mean, we've definitely got enough wealth of talent to put on some pretty decent shows. I'm up for it. Does England have any, well, the UK, does that have any good black metal? I'm drawing a blank. Good question. I mean, I um... It's like death, really. I don't know. Well, 
it's got pretty good, there's quite a lot of good um, OSDM uh, bands from the UK, like old school death metal. That's like the big revival thing at I the moment. I think that's what we've got them. Like, like Grave Miasma and stuff. Yeah. Um, black metal, yeah, there's a few good stuff. Ones uh, that aren't racist. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to work out. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's my problem. Like, literally yeah. right now, I'm drawing so many... Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's one of the things I think I'd like to do at some point in the future, even just do a spotlight on a, on a subgenre, just take a few bands and just yeah. focus on some of the stuff that's happening on our own <laughs> fucked up little island. Maybe we should do like a safety black metal corner. Well, you know we'll be like, this band's definitely safe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one of my favourite, I mean, British is is, a, is a, a bit of a tenuous description for this band, but I really love Primordial. I love Primordial. Um, yeah. And they're just great, you know, I mean, there's such good music. And, you know, I think they've actually done a lot for the kind of the black slash folk genre. They're on a lot of good lineups. In, yeah. In like, uh, yeah, I really like it. Alan's just miserable in real life, but I, I do, I do love it. his vocals. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've heard this podcast is a bit uh, nihilistic. It's a bit of a downer. Everything's fat. <laughs> but um, Primordial, um, I saw them live, uh, luckily, uh, not long before the shit went down. They played Damnation in 2019. They're a good Damnation band, yeah. Yeah, they're great. Uh, except everybody was circle pitting for them. I was thinking, who the fuck what? circle pits to Primordial? That's so strange. Yeah, it was weird. People started mostering to like the strangest bands before the pandemic. Like Sleep had a fucking pit. Yeah, did they? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. When I saw them on the road, but I think everybody was just too fucking high to even <laughs> to even move off their spot, let alone start a pit. <laughs> but back to Electric Moon. Yeah. Uh, what my favourite track on the album was a track called The Picture, which had quite a consistent riff kind of going through it. And I thought like, oh, that's going to be one of these sort of psychedelic songs, you know, that has like a has like a you know the same motif and riff and structure kind of runs all the way through. You know, it swells a little bit, <laughs> but. What I really liked about this track was kind of like about 15 minutes in, they take the riff, and I always love when bands do this. Um, like they just really slow the riff down, it's just so much more oh, gnarlier. Yeah, that's great. And just the best, another good example of a band that done this fantastically was uh, Decapitated at yeah. uh, Bloodstock one year. I saw them and they're playing Spheres of Madness, which is like their one to one. And they took the fucking riff and just completely made it really fucking sludgy and slowed it down. I don't want a good, do a big nasty bend. Yeah, 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 so yeah, another one the band does that. So good, and that's kind of what they've done on this track called The Picture. Mm -hmm. and, um, and it actually fades out, and I'm thinking, oh, this is coming to the end. But then it comes crashing back in and it gets heavier again. And I think, no, it's quite a good touch because you're so used to hearing bands kind of, you know, they, the music swells up and then it just gradually fades out. But then they actually came back in again and went hard again for another couple of minutes. I just thought that was really cool. That's yeah. probably my, my favourite track of the, uh, the album slash live performance. Yeah, so I like that. I like it when bands mess around with your expectations. Like, yeah. that's one of my favourite things. Yeah. And it's good. It just keeps sounds exciting because too many times you listen to music, listen to metal that sounds like so so homogenous. Sounds like so many other bands from that particular subgenre or mm -hmm. uh, facet. And it's um, yeah, you know, I just want to hear something different. Like I like things being mixed together and like sounding, and that's what I think. One of the things I liked about the Electric Moon album as well is. Um, it had, in my opinion, what sounded like quite a lot of post-rock elements as well. Yeah, for sure. And I thought that was just really cool. Reminds me of Mono again a bit, a band who I absolutely adore. And I think it's just, you know, just adds to the whole soundscape aspect of the songs. And um, yeah, overall, very, uh, it was good. I heavily enjoyed this live performance, despite being slightly apprehensive, because like I said, I'm not the biggest fan of live albums, but 
I think they, uh, I think they understood that that was going to be a, a preconception going forwards, mm. and decided to take the effort to mix it and master it properly when releasing it. Yeah, I think that's a, a good thing to do. It should be noted they have about nine live albums. Yeah, because I, I was looking up their discography and it was um, it didn't actually state whether they were live or not. Well, on Wikipedia anyway. On Bandcamp it does. I oh, does it? I, I should have on Bandcamp. I was, I was counting. They have, I think, double the amount of live albums than they yeah. do non-live. Maybe I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong. Please tell me. Um, but I think that's what I took away from it. But that's cool. Some bands are just like that. They're obviously yeah, a band that loves to jam and you yeah. know do their shit on stage, and you know, and that's evident in the performance. You know, you hear it and it just sounds great. You know, and I'll, I'll go and check out their recorded stuff and kind of form an opinion on that. But like, yeah, I mean, as it currently stands, this was a very strong uh, first opinion because I knew nothing about this band. I knew, I knew you were a little bit familiar with them, but I knew nothing because this really is you know, kind of not really my wheelhouse. Yeah, they're one of the bands I listened to for a long time, um, like in the early 2010s. Like I, I still listen to them occasionally. I got really big into bands like Sungrazer, The Machine, That Split. Sungrazer, The Machine, very good, check it out. Um, you know, Yuri Gagarin, Color Haze, who I think are kind of like, if you like this kind of music, I think we should definitely do a Color Haze album at some yeah. point, because um, they're, really, they're a really interesting band. I think they do something similar, but they, they kind of paint with color with their music. It's like very intense, incredible, incredible live. They did like a four hour set. Nice. <laughs> they, do, they do like XL sets. Yeah. And they, they play Dina Jam a lot as well. I mean, this is a Dina Jam band. Um, and they will often play like a three hour set at Dina Jam. Yeah. yeah. I'd love to go there. That just sounds amazing. They're totally like a Roadburn band as well. I think they actually did play a certain Roadburn once. Oh, and cool. I totally get that because I think Roadburn actually started more of like a stoner sort of psych sort of band, a sort of festival, and they've kind of branched out a bit. And... Uh, Germany has so many bands like this. There's like a whole scene in Germany. I mean, crowd rock in it. Yeah. So like, yeah, there's, I think, because of where Roadburn is, it's, it must be so easy to just get them to come over and play. Yeah. yeah. Quite easy for us to get to Roadburn, to be fair. It was just we've got the Eurostar straight there. Yeah. Not too bad. When I went to the Desert Fest there, it was the same. And like, yeah. I think they just, there's just so many good bands like this in Europe. They're absolutely blessed. And there's not so many in England. I think we're too miserable to <laughs> make that kind of music. <laughs> not sunny enough. <laughs> yeah, too much, not enough vitamin D. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd rate this album, I think, a solid 6.5. Yeah, it's it's. Um, I don't know why my voice was so high pitched there. I was channeling Rob Halford. Um, I yeah, I'd be inclined to say about the same, maybe even a seven. Uh, uh, I thought it was good. Nice. I really enjoyed it, and uh, like I said, it's kind of this and the Om album. The Om album more has kind of uh, inspired me to check out more of this vein. I'm trying not to kind of categorize them too much because I'm kind of just. As you get older, I think you get a bit more fed up of trying to categorise shit. <laughs> yeah. It's so redundant a lot of the time. But definitely more music of a similar vein. Like I'm going to go and make a concerted effort to go and try and mm. I think they'd be explore. on a, a line-up of similar bands. That's how I kind of think about music now. It's like, oh, yeah. if it was a festival, they'd probably share a line-up. If yeah. it was like of a kind of genre that's going to appeal to people who like smoking weed. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that's a solid take. I think that's Electric Moon. Yeah. I think that leads us nicely onto Kvithraven, if I'm remembering the, the name right, by Rodruna. I believe it means white raven. Yeah, white raven. And uh, from what I've gathered is, because Rodruna are an interesting uh, kind of project, because obviously they get lumped in with the metal sphere quite a lot, because mm. of their connections and stuff like we were saying. Yeah. yeah. With Ina Selvig being involved with Gorgorov, but it's... Um, 
they've really, I think, done a lot for kind of getting metalheads into uh, kind of interested in uh, traditional music. Mm. And it's, it's, as a similar vein, bands like Highland have done as well. Yeah. I feel like I don't, I don't know, but how which band was formed first? But I felt like Wardrina would want. Wardrina were first. Yeah. Yeah. But what's interesting about this album is because the first. Three Wadrina albums were almost like concept albums. The Ronell Yard. Yeah. yeah. So it was just more focusing on the runes and, and stuff, and you know, each song was representative of a different rune and stuff, which was really cool. And I don't really want to call it a concept album, because I think it's a bit of a redundant um, phrase, because every album is based on a concept of something, you know. So, but... It was like a body of work that was all related. Yeah. yeah. So, and the fourth album, Skald, was more because that was more minimalist and it kind of had like, it was almost like quite bardic, like the way it was just him and it was just, mm. you know, an instrument and there wasn't too much, you know, orchestration as there was on the other albums. It's very intimate. Yeah. Mm. Which is why what I really liked about this album was, I think they've done a really good job of kind of uh, creating a soundscape that's a lot fuller than their previous albums. You know, it's a lot more, it's a lot more, it's kind of soaring and orchestrated and there's, most of the uh, the instrument the instrumentation is quite present on a lot of the tracks. There's some quite incredible prevalent. instrumentation, and you can tell they've used the real instruments as well. Yeah, the horns are so nice. Oh, there's one track, and it's probably. I think it's good rather than they used lots of horns, and like in the video, they're doing like the Burzum thing with the the trumpet. Yeah. The, the old. I can't do it without oh. <laughs> <laughs> I watched the video when it came out, but I have to revisit it again. But it's it's, a um, video. I remember thinking the video looked stunning as well. Yeah. But there's one track which is called. Ooh, let's see if I can. Let's see if I can brutalize this uh, ancient language. Filgutil, which I think uh, translates to accompanying number. Mm. But that's got some a really good horn section in it, and it's because a lot of the time horns, I think. Are associated with you know like war horns and stuff you know like whereas this is the horn is implemented here in a way that's quite melodic yeah and I think it adds to like the the atmosphere of the track and it's a very it's a very soaring track and I think it's probably my favorite um, Wardrina track ever it's just really dynamic beautiful and it's just got um, like I said you know you, you listen to when you listen to their earlier albums like some, some the Runel Yord albums there's um, you've got some tracks like one track called Ralmir which is similar to this it's quite rousing. And there's a lot of elements in it because I think Wandering Wardrina are really good at as well. It's their vocal layering, yeah, and um, you know creating the soundscape with the vocals as well, and having that accompany the music. The vocals um, in this album are really sophisticated. Yeah, and it, and it's great, and you could tell that they put so much thought into making sure that it's harmonising well and it sounds. Harmonies are so interesting. That it's cool. It's so yeah. cool. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I was really um, they're really unusual harmonies, and like the like, I think Shem would really like them. Um, our man behind the camera and producer, he um, he likes music that sounds like in a major key that's kind of also mournful, and this is very much what they've done. They've they've used like really the intervals they've used in the harmonies, which are like some of them are five part harmonies. There's so many layers, yeah. and like there's like really triumphant layers in there but then there's also this like sense of sadness and loss at the same yeah. time yeah you basically summarized how i felt about the track the the field util track and that's basically how it yeah, how i would summarize that just in a far better way than i ever could <laughs> but it's yeah there's it's just um it's more melodic than previous albums so yeah. i felt like there's a lot more minimalist elements in some of the earlier albums whereas this is they definitely i think went in 
wanting to create an album that's a bit more rich and dynamic and just has a fuller sound. And it's, it's interesting because this is really, in many ways, their first album, in the sense it's the first album that's not based on either or influenced by a particular concept. Mm. I mean, it's still based around the concept, but I think like this is a full representation of the band's sound. Because I feel like earlier albums were kind of isolated elements of what they wanted to show the, the, the project was about. So I think that's why I think um, I actually do really like this album. And uh, even the whole um, lyrical concept I find really interesting, like the yeah. White Raven that's talking about, you know, these animals that are kind of like heralds or spirit guides mm. in Nordic mythology. I think there's another track that's called the... Uh, is it Skuga? It's the... the Kvit. That's Kvit Raven, is this White That's Raven. There's another one called the... it's the White Deer. Oh, the White Deer? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know about the White Deer. And uh, one another track I really like on the album is called Visa Viding. What's that one mean? Which is, um, I couldn't find a translation for that. Ah. Oh. Google Translate let me down on that one. But it's, um, it starts with like um, almost a bit of a Middle Eastern flair. Mm. And like, even the vocals are a bit reminiscent of that sort of style, which I thought was really cool. Um, but it ends up almost sounding a bit like a sea shanty. Like it's yeah. got quite a jolly kind of vibe to it, which I thought was really cool. And just not something I'm really used to hearing in Wardrina's music. My favourite track was Skuga, which means shadow. Shadow. Yeah. And like I, I watched it's the only time I've ever appreciated a lyric video because they show you the language with the English translation, you can see the similarities. Ah, oh, cool. And like you can it's it's very similar to like old English poetry and you can tell like I think he might have taken an old English poem or something, but he's like he, he's describing like he sees a shadow and then he's like questioning the shadow. He's like, Why are you here? And then I think it's like there's like a rock. And like the shadow goes to a rock, I might be completely murdering this, I'm so sorry if I am. But then like, the, he keeps asking it to like speak to him and it doesn't until halfway through the song, like it speaks and then the whole song changes and like there's this like wailing as if this rock is like in pain and the shadow is just like trying to communicate with like the narrator, the narrative, the whatever, the point of view of the song. It's so beautiful, it reminds me of um, I think Electric Wizard's Electric Wizard. There's like, and also in Sabbath, um, there's like, there's a song, what's it? The song where like, they're, they're talking about like, the wizard walks by and then the wizard speaks and the, the wizard speaking is a guitar solo. And that's yeah. like, it sounds like kind of communication and it's the same thing in this song. Yeah. Um, and I really like that, it's really interesting. I think it's a really cool device that yeah. people don't use enough and they do it so beautifully in this. Yeah, there's, um, there's one track which, Going on to your point you just said that I thought was super super cool. It's it's shadow actually. Oh is there's, it? Is that there's the there's the one bit because the, the pace picks up and the vocals are a bit more frantic. That's when the rock is speaking. And at the same time there's like it's it sounds like I don't know what the we Nordic instrument it is, but it sounds a bit like the Jew harp. Yeah. And that's mirroring the vocal pattern at the back, and that's what that's so cool that the vocals are being harmonized with a harp in the back. It and, is really cool. It just sounded so cool. And it's there's what I like about Wardruna is it's so authentic. Absolutely, yeah. There's no like, there's no fascist kind of. There's no like, um, there's no like um, thing they're trying to push on you. They're not trying to make you agree with them about something. No. They don't have an agenda. They're just legit. They love what they do. Yeah. Yeah. And just the whole connection with nature and stuff, which I feel like so many of us have lost in you know many Western and modern societies. You know, it's just it's just so good to hear a band that's you know that's still speaking for a lot of the. A lot of the things that our ancestors, long forgotten ancestors, deemed so important. 
mm. on this planet, which is the gift of Mother Earth and nature itself, and how, and how it's the giver of all life, really. Yeah, it's interesting that this was like kind of revived in the Romantic era in this country, because um, like there were a lot of poets like Wordsworth, Blake, yeah. and they and Coleridge. They basically like Wordsworth and Coleridge were like fuck the industrial age. Fuck the age of reason, fuck enlightenment, we're gonna go in the countryside. And they were like rich guys, and they just basically like ruinate their own food, became vegetarians, and all they'd write about was nature yeah. and how nature can free you from like the horrors of industrialization. Yeah. And that was like the first time that this had happened mm. in like literature for nature to be like like the point of, of like divine in Western yeah. literature, which I think we kind of owe it to them almost that we have bands like I'm not going to name in this country, but bands like Baldrina, and yeah. like, not necessarily that Baldrina read Coleridge or Wordsworth, but yeah. it's that like romantic sensibility that kind of went out into Europe, like authors like Goethe probably, you know, who did stuff like that too. So I think it's interesting, like historically, there's there's people 300 years ago that we kind of owe our music scene to. Yeah, it's crazy, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But it makes sense, because I feel like, you know, a lot of... Uh, I wouldn't call this heavy music per se because it's heavy but in a, in a different way mm. you know it's emotionally heavy and you know they've done a great job of making the instruments sound in a way that is appealing to modern ears yeah because you know it's it's there's still some aspects of conventional music and songwriting and structure in the music you know but at the same time you know it's that the authenticity is what shines through um and um, and I have always said to people, if they ever get the chance to catch Wardrina live, it's, yeah, it's so, so worth doing. 100%. They always do something different. Their performance at Hellfest was incredible. Oh, that sounds amazing. There were so many people. People couldn't even fit in the tent. I had to stand like in the field to see yeah. them. And that tent that they played is huge. I think it was like the temple or the altar. Um, and basically they knew it was going to be really full. So they did this special setup where they had like all these people with horns and like a whole orchestra behind them with all these incredible weird instruments. But then they had like this huge um, like backdrop that looked like leaves. Yeah. And then they lit themselves so you could see the shadows like yeah. blown up really big on this huge wall. So even though you couldn't see them, you could see like these weird movements yeah. of people playing these like weird looking instruments and like yeah. curved horns that are like two meters high and stuff yeah. like that. It's oh, so cool. They had a similar setup when I went to see them in Elephant and Fucking Castle of all places. No way. <laughs> yeah, but I think they were meant to play. Um, oh, what was that venue? Uh, the Shepherd's Bush Empire. Oh yeah. But it was dilapidated, and I think there was some structural damage, so they moved it to the Coronet in. Um, Elephant and Castle, and it was just so weird because I grew up in South East London, so I know Elephant and Castle well. But to think that I'm going to watch Wardrina yeah, while walking through the castle. fucking shithole that is Elephant and Castle. It is a proper shithole. Really I mean, I was born in South London, I can slag it off. It's, <laughs> it's horrible. It's like concrete hell. And it's becoming the new, um, the new um, Canary Wharf now. I was going to say like the, Cat Capital or something. <laughs> yeah, they're turning it into like some next financial district. Wow. Not can kick out all the poor people and move them out so that they can. Well, they're gonna go. Yeah. Well, no, yeah, that's true. Yeah. But so Wardrina. <laughs> <laughs> Wardrina, sorry, <laughs> take it back. <laughs> but no, it was. Um, they had a similar setup. They had, I think, had the same same thing with like the big backdrop with what looked like leaves and stuff. And um, you know, it's just so good because you could tell there was no, as far as I can tell, there was no backing track, and all the music was produced on stage mm. and stuff. And it was a it was a very special set because it was actually. Um, they were touring with Enslaved and doing select few shows because they, Ina Selvik had collaborated with Ivor Bjornsson on the Scootia album, mm. which was also about 
That's great, I love it. Yeah. And that's really a celebration of kind of like Nordic history as well and mythology. And um, and they performed it live, so it was an enslaved set who are like one of them, one of Shem's favourite bands as well. <laughs> so watch an enslaved set, then a Wadruna set, and then Wadruna and Enslaved perform and scooter together. So it was just like Jesus, like <laughs> and then it finished and I walked out and I was in Elephant Castle. So I would not go to a gig in Elephant and Castle. <laughs> Even for Wardrina, I just wouldn't. I was all get right. murdered yeah. immediately afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> it was alright to be fair, it, was, it wasn't too bad. That's good. I'm glad that you didn't get murdered afterwards. But uh, but this album in particular, I think it's a good addition to the uh, to their discography because like I was saying before, each one of their albums kinda of does something different and they're exploring different kind of soundscapes. And I've said the word soundscapes about two million fucking times. <laughs> But like, you know, the first trilogy were really, you know, kind of like their first almost tentative steps into what they were trying to do. And whereas Scarlet was very, I would say, you know, like I say, almost bardic, was minimalistic. Whereas this album, it's kind of like an amalgamation of everything they have been doing, whether it be live and on record. Mm. And saying, okay, this is our, in some ways, in my opinion, I think it's their first complete, like, cohesive, comprehensive release of what their sound actually is. I think they came into themselves in this yeah. one. I think this is one of those albums where like, oh okay, they're, they're, they're a band now. I think it usually takes three albums yeah. for a band to like get to that point. And a few years as well to like go through the lineups and like iron out the kinks and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. But I was really, really impressed with it. I loved it. It was, it was an easy listen. Because I will say one thing, some of the other stuff can be a bit hard to get through. Because a lot of it is quite ambient and minimalistic a lot of the time. So I ended up skipping a few tracks because there's nothing, not much going on on this track. Whereas with this album, even though it had its sort of slower, more ambient moments, there was still enough going on in the back to keep me entertained and listening all the way throughout. Mm. And like, so many tracks had different flavours. And uh, just, yeah, this the juxtaposition of the vocal harmonies with all the Nordic instruments going on. They just, they just got the mix just right, you know. Like one wasn't overpowering the other. They're actually all working together to create, you know, one complete sound. Yeah, I feel like 50 years ago you couldn't make an album that sounded this rich. Like, I think the technology was there to, like, really bring out the acoustic instruments and things like that and the horns. Like, usually orchestral, maybe not from 50 years ago, but from before then, if it wasn't a good recording, which you'd have to have a whole a lot of money to do yeah. all those layers and then not have everything melt and catch fire and things like that. Yeah. It would have been crazy to, yeah. to do that. Yeah, that's an interesting point. I think that's what I was trying to say with the whole, the modern approach to it. Because like mm -hmm. I said, this wouldn't have been possible before. Yeah. But the, the irony is you need the modern <laughs> technology <laughs> to be able to capture something like this on record. Like I'm sure they could have done it live 500 you know, years ago or whatever with their instruments. But you know, to the fact, and I think that helps with the authenticity because you know that they are using their old Nordic instruments and you know, they've found a way of capturing that and presenting it through modern technology. This is a, a complete side note and deviation, but I can't remember which which um, tribe it was, but there was a European group um, like around the time of like the Goths and the Visigoths, and I think they defeated the Romans, but they had these really weird horned instruments yeah. that were shaped like horses or like dragons, and they had tongues. Oh, cool. It's like the only, the only like kind of blown instrument with a tongue I think ever made. Oh, and they looked like feasts. And what they do is like they would, they would just like parade through with these like crazy fucking. I can't remember what they're called. If you maybe type like weird beast horn instrument into Google. Um, maybe you'd get something, but they, they literally, the, the tongue would flap and it would create this like horrifying shrieking sound <laughs> and you could, you could like 
basically when the Romans saw them, they thought they were weird mythical beasts. Because yeah. you just if you if you see like a whole like three hundred people, these weird fucking screaming, <laughs> shrieking like <laughs> dragon lizard horns yeah. with like flapping tongues at like two meters high, <laughs> like polished to be super shiny in the yeah. light, and they're just marching towards you. You just shit yourself. Yeah, I tap out. I'm, like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that happened to them a lot, and like yeah. they defeated the fucking the Romans, like the legion that was there at the time. So <sighs> that's a that's a what Waldrina kind of remind me of when they do that that thing with the horns. It's like a war horn thing. It's got a bit of it. It does sound, it's got that kind of tribalistic, almost warlike mm. sound to it, a lot of the music. The drums especially, like it's, yeah. just, it's just that deep bass drums that they use as the rhythm section for most of the track, you know. It's very reminiscent of that the war drum star sounds, even though it's probably not intended to sound like a war drum, but it's just what it reminds me of. Um, that point you were making, the, the thing you were talking about with the uh, instruments, with like the flailing tongues and stuff. Have you ever been to the Hornaments Museum? No, I haven't. They've got a uh, room that's dedicated to, they've got a f whole room full of um, ancient and instruments from loads of different sort of civilizations and places around the world. And it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And you can even try out some of them. Um, whether or not, <laughs> I mean, it, it's a tricky one because you think, uh, with, these were probably stolen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's, it is cool to look at, I suppose. Yeah, it's cool as well. If they're there, you may as well have a look, right? Yeah. 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 I'd give this a solid eight. I'd say that's a fair rating. I'd be inclined to say, I'd say about an eight as well. Because like I was saying with Om and even um, Electric Moon, I, as much as I do love Wardrina, I do need to be in that mood to listen. I had to listen to this at the right time. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I am coming from a school where I like fast paced music and blast beats generally. That's normally my, uh, my modus operandi. But, um, but at the same time, I feel like I've made a concerted effort in the last sort of 10, 15 years to try and explore other styles of music. And I think that's why War Junior is such an important act, because I think they've done a good job of, you know, kind of ingratiating people who I think uh, who would consider themselves to be purely metalheads into exploring other, you know, there's more music out there that isn't, you know, distorted guitars or, you know, double bass drum. And I think... And I think they're very important in that regard because, you know, they slot into any metal festival. Yeah. And I've said for years, I would love if, like, even say a Bloodstock or something, that they'd done, like, a... And the noise laws probably wouldn't permit it, but, like, a late-night set where that was, like, the last act of the night and it's just super chill and it's at night time and they're just playing, man. I think that would just be super sick. I think they should play Bloodstock. I think they they would actually suit the lineup really well because there's a lot of people who fucking love Vikings that go to Bloodstock. Yeah, yeah. It, it's true. And just, you know, it's... It's just good shit. I mean, they're just festivals, I think, just do well. If you just book diverse acts, then I'm sure you're just casting a wider net. I think it's always a good thing to try and book a diverse lineup for that reason. Um, but that's why I think, you know, I'm so looking forward to going Hellfest that year because mm -hmm. I'm not being funny. Jesus Christ, it's like almost the lineup was too good to be true. It was my dream lineup for the yeah. Friday. It was like Electric Wizard, Baroness, and Ohm. I just fucking love those bands so much. Yeah. And then, yeah, I think, I think. I think Coronel there as well. And yeah, there's System of a Down. It would be cool to watch System as well. I've always wanted to watch them live. <laughs> They're one of my favourite bands. Uh, yeah. That's one favourite band I've never seen. I think Wadruna were booked as well. I think, I think so, yeah. yeah. So I think everyone was fucking booked by the looks of it. That lineup was so stacked. <laughs> I really hope they're going to make next year. Hope so. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm no economist. You know, I've never run a festival before. So I don't know practically whether or not it's 
it's really plausible for them to even survive past next year. Because I mean, I'm... they get state funding, and S France some of them do, don't they? Not all. Hellfest, I think, pretty oh, much. Oh, And like France is very serious about their arts, and they're not fucky with when it comes to alternative yeah. stuff. Because like they're super into shit like that. And Hellfest, it generates a huge amount of revenue, I think, for the town that it's yeah. in as well. It's a, it's an amazing festival. So I think hopefully they can do it. They they were given permission to do like a seven thousand people seated festival, and they were like, "We're not doing that." Can't do it. It's just not. It's just, it just wouldn't work. It wouldn't work for Hellfest. Like no one would even fucking listen. As well. No, it's just you, you can't put on a metal festival and tell people they've got to sit down. <laughs> it wouldn't yeah. work, especially no. like if they're drunk. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people would immediately start taking liberties with that. Yeah, so God, we were quite slow on the ball with. Um, with grants for the music and the arts, weren't we? Oh, we were shit in comparison. Even right. like our furlough was like, I think in, in France and Germany, they're like giving people like two, several years worth. And like the, the funding is like hundreds, uh, not hundreds, but tens of times bigger than us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, on that depressing note, <laughs> but uh, it was, uh, I think to summarize, I was, uh, this was a good week because, um, I felt like, um, I was kind of exploring outside of my comfort zone with a lot of these releases. So kind of forced me to be a bit more cerebral with some of, some of the music, especially on, because I felt like it was just, because um, I knew how important an album that was to you. Oh no. And uh, no, but I think it was, it was a good thing, because okay. I was thinking, yeah, I, I want to listen to this properly, because I knew if you loved it so much, then it's, it's something worth listening to. Um, and it's just great. I just love, I just love the opportunity just to listen to, shit that I wouldn't have probably listened to otherwise because mm -hmm. you know it's having the review then just kind of gives us that incentive to go and check out new music and think about it in a way that I haven't done for a very long time. I appreciate that you, you listen to it because it, it often takes so much energy to listen to a band that you normally wouldn't want to Yeah. and then like apply yourself to like look at the lyrics and the musicians because I don't normally do that with bands that I like Yeah. so it's cool that we're like doing that in that respect. Yeah. 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 But, but well, that's it. I think that's, uh, that's me done. <laughs> <laughs> Smank you for coming. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very obscure reference. But yeah, thank you for watching, guys. Feel free to like and subscribe and all that shebang. We will be back hopefully next week with some new albums. If you want us to actually review some albums that you want to suggest, hit us up. We'd love to do that. And have a lovely rest of your evening. And if you thank disagree you. with any of our opinions, feel free to uh, hit us up in the comments. I'd love a, love a debate. Yes, a debate. <laughs> so yeah, take care.